If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them with me to the book of Matthew chapter 9. And this morning, I, I really want to thank everybody that is here who in 2016, you determined in your heart that you desired to be a part of the conversation. That's what Sunday morning is. It's a conversation. Somebody say it's a conversation. It goes on every week. And every time you come to the house of the Lord on a Sunday, you become part of this conversation that has to do with the purpose of God within our life. And I encourage you that if you're here this morning, you would determine in your heart that you wouldn't, you wouldn't miss one of our talks. Amen. They say, well, who are we talking with, Pastor? Are we talking with you? Well, in some ways, but in all ways, we are talking with God. And I just stand here today as his messenger, as his oracle, so to speak. I feel the Lord has given me a proper word this morning. And if you're ready for it, I want you just to say amen. All right. Matthew chapter 9 in verse 35. It reads this way. It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. It says here, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Say that with me. Say, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Here's the portion I ask you to give special attention to. It says in verse 38, therefore pray. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest field. This morning, I'd like to speak to you on the subject of pray it in. Look at two people and tell them this year we're going to pray it in. Shake their hand and you may be seated in the house of the Lord. I like the way that sounds. Because how many know sometimes you've just got to pray it in? There was a, a farmer who raised an award-winning harvest of fruit. And every year he seemed to come away with the blue ribbon at the state fair. And after another recent victory, a news anchor asked him, what is your secret to raising such amazing fruit and consistently coming away with the victory? His response was simple and somewhat obvious when he said this. He said, the shadow of the farmer must fall upon the field. As we step into a brand new year, there's always a preparation of heart as to what God wants to do in our lives, as to what God wants to do in our families, and as to what God wants to do in our city. And that's what 
January 2016 will be all about for Victory Outreach San Diego. It will be a month of preparation. It will be a month of prayer. Because how many believe that God wants to give us a great harvest in 2016? And I really believe with all of my heart that in order to see that harvest come in, we've got to pray. We've got to pray and we've got to know that nothing we set out to do will be a success unless we determine in our heart to seek the face of God for it. How many believe that this is the word you need to hear on the first Sunday of 2016? Because nothing will come in unless we ask the Lord of the harvest to bring it in. You see, the saints of old used to say, you got to pray it in. You got to pray it in. If you have a need, you've got to pray it in. You want to see miracles? You've got to pray them in. You want to see your unsaved family members saved? Come on, somebody. You got to pray it in. And I think some of you youngsters have got to learn what the old timers know how to do. They know how to pray in the miracles. They know how to pray in the breakthrough. They know how to pray in the successful marriage. They know how to pray in the finances. Somebody with me this morning say, pray it in. We've got to pray it in. When it comes to the harvest, prayer is the most important work anyone can do. The great author on prayer, Andrew Murray, wrote, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism. The great preacher and evangelist John Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. That's powerful. Think about that for a moment, that God does nothing unless people come to him in believing prayer. He goes on to say that prayer is where the action is. Come on, somebody. And I believe that if we're going to get that harvest this year, we're going to have to receive that harvest first through prayer. Now, you say, well, pastor, how should we pray? And I would ask you this morning to give me permission to provide a little direction to our church on how we should pray according to Matthew chapter 9. The first thing I believe we've got to pray is We've got to pray for perspective. Say this with me. Say, pray it in. We've got to pray in the right perspective. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, the Bible says that when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the multitudes, here in the scripture we see that Jesus was going through all the towns and the villages teaching and preaching and healing. But notice that Jesus was not only preaching, he was not only teaching, he was not only healing, he was also seeing. He was also seeing. The Bible says he saw the multitudes. He was also seeing. You see, the Bible says that he saw. And to see something means to be alerted to a thing. Stay with me now. To see something means to be alerted to a thing. It means to be made aware of. It means to have your eyes opened to what is happening around you. Someone said in the church, there's three types of people, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who say, what's happening? 
Which one are you this morning? I guess here's the question is, what do you see? As you go into 2016, what do you see? When we study the Bible and we study the gospel, we find that Jesus was constantly dealing with the vision of his disciples. Study it. Read it. Read those gospels. Watch how Jesus dealt with his men. And notice that he was constantly dealing with their faith and he was constantly dealing with their vision. In John chapter 4, verse 35, he tells his disciples, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. This is powerful. Lift up your eyes. Look at your neighbor and tell them, this year, lift up your eyes. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Because I know that there's people who believe that 2016 you're going to another level. I, I believe there's some, now you don't have to clap yet, but watch this. <laughs> some of you believe that God's taking you to another level. Some of you believe that God is going to raise you up. Some of you are believing for God to do some things for you that he's never done before. And you're believing he's going to raise your influence. And, and that in order to raise your influence, he's got to raise your heart. And in order to raise your heart, he's got to raise your time, your talent, and your treasure. But understand that God can't do any of it until he raises your vision. You got to learn to lift up your eyes first because God can't lift up a person with a low vision. Mm -mm -mm. Come on, say amen. Say lift up your eyes. See, before God can lift you up in his kingdom in 2016, you've got to allow him to lift up your eyes. A lifted vision requires a special touch. I'll say it again. A lifted vision requires a special touch from the Father. Why? Because life has a way of lowering our vision. Let me put it this way. Life has a way of lowering our expectation. Life has a way, instead of getting us to see beyond, to just see what's right in front of us. And what, in order to get your vision lifted, you need a special touch of the Father. Because I believe that Someone once said that tired eyes rarely see a bright future. But God says, I've got what you need this morning. If 2015 was tough, if 2015 was hard, if 2015 caused your vision to take a beating, God says, I've got what you need. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to restore your vision. I'm going to cause you to lift up your eyes to see things. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard or entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. Does anybody love Jesus this morning and believe that if he touches you, you can lift up your vision? See, some of you have got to go into prayer this year and say, Lord Jesus, lift up my eyes. Lift up my vision. In Mark chapter 8, verse 23, it says here that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hand on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And then the man looked up and said, I see men walking like trees. Now, who was this man? This man was blind. And if he was blind, two questions. How did he know what men looked like? And how did he know what trees looked like? Let me tell you how he knew. Because he wasn't blind his entire life. 
There was a time in his life where he could see. There was a time in his life where he was doing everything that God had called him to be. But life came in and stole his vision. But then all of a sudden, Jesus came on the scene and he said, oh, come on, somebody. He said, I, I, I see men walking like trees. And what Jesus did next, he's put his hand on his eyes again. Somebody say again. And he made him look up, and he was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Here's the word for you in 2016. You're getting your vision back. You're going to pray it in. You're going to see like you've never seen before. Come on, somebody. You're coming up a little bit higher. It's time to get back what the devil has stolen. I'm going to need a church to say amen and shout to the Lord. You're going to see again. But you got to pray it in. Somebody say pray it in. Here's what I want to say to you. The things that touched you in 2015 are going to cause you to see in 2016. Come on, somebody. The second thing we need to pray for is not only pray for perspective, but secondly, we got to pray in passion. And we've got to pray in compassion. Say pray it in. Matthew 9, once again, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, stay with me for a moment and, and, and answer this question for me. What is passion? What is passion? Passion is the fire of God in our life. Somebody say, pray it in. We've got to pray not only the perspective in, but we've got to pray the passion in. We've got to pray in the fire of God into our life. We, some of us here this morning, I will venture out to say, I know it's early and I give you credit for being in church this early, but I got to say something to you. Some of you need revival. Now, what is revival? Revival means to bring back. Meaning there was a time where you were alive, but you are alive no longer. But once revival hits your life, it brings you back to life. Ah, come on, help me out. And we've got to pray it in. You're not going to get that revival unless you pray it in. Somebody say pray it in. Passion is the fire of God. It's the desire to pray and seek the face of God. It's when you have a desire so great that you'd rather pray than look at Facebook. Although there are a group of people in church that think looking at Facebook is praying. Somebody say pray it in. We gotta pray in the fire of God. We've got to pray in the hunger for God. It's when you're hungry for the word and spiritual growth. When you realize that you don't come to church on a Sunday morning just to warm a pew and just to greet a few people and to show off your brand new shoes. Can I hear an amen? How many believe we've got to pray the passion back in to the people of God? Come on and shout to the Lord if you believe it. You see. It's the excitement for God's work. You say, what's passion? It's when you get excited about doing the work of God. 
It's when you get so turned on by the Holy Spirit that you can't help but have a desire for the Lord to use you in a powerful way. We got to pray it in. Understand that passion is not only birthed in prayer, but let me say this to you is that passion is also birthed in the streets. Come on, somebody. It's not birthed in your church chair only. It's, all, it's also birthed when you get outside of the four walls of the church. The Bible tells us that Jesus was out doing the work. Notice, he was out doing the work. He was out preaching. He was out teaching. He was out healing, evangelizing. And it was there, watch this, while he was out, that he was moved with compassion. And what we've got to pray in is not only the passion, but we've got to pray in the compassion. It says he was moved with compassion. The word move in this portion of scripture means to be upset. Are you hearing me? To be driven, to be beside oneself to have your heart stirred when you see the terrible condition that people are in he was moved say that with me say he was moved the bible says he was moved because they were harassed they were helpless they were like sheep without a shepherd you know what that tells me is that they were they were harassed. Watch this. They were helpless and they had no home. They were harassed. They were helpless and they had no home. Let me put it this way. They were harassed. They were helpless and they had no family. They didn't have a spiritual family. Are you hearing me today? And it bothered our Savior. Question is, does it bother you? Does it bother us today? He was stirred. You see, what do we need? We need leaders with passion, but we also need leaders with compassion. Sometimes you say, well, what is compassion? Let me say this. Compassion is when you take your passion and direct it towards those who are hurting. It's when you take the fire of God. It's when you take that prayer life. It's when you take that word of God in your life. And instead of keeping it for yourself, you direct it towards those who are in need. See, some Christians, they say, I'm compassionate pastor. I have compassion. But the problem is they mistake compassion for pity. I pity the fool. No, I'm just kidding. They mistake Compassion for pity. What is pity? We see a problem. We feel something inside, but we do nothing about it. Are you catching this today? We see a need. We feel something, but it's going to get in the way of the day's agenda. It's going to hinder our Starbucks run. Talk to me, somebody. 
the story of the Good Samaritan is the perfect example of what we talk about in compassion. A man was robbed. He was beaten. He was left for dead. Two men came across him. One of them was a religious leader. Another one was a Samaritan. The religious leader saw something. I'm sure he felt something. But then he walked right by him. Oh, my goodness. I hope there's no one here like that. But the Samaritan, instead of walking right by him, the Bible tells us is he crossed the street. And he didn't just walk by the problem. Watch this. He came close to the problem. He put his hands on the problem. He picked the man up off the street, took him to the nearest end, took out his own money, paid the fee, cleaned his wounds, and said, if he needs another day, put it on my account. Those are the type of people we need at Victory Outreach San Diego, that you're not only going to have a passion, but you're going to translate that passion to compassion. That when you see hurting people and you see that they're harassed, you see that they're helpless, you're also going to see that they're without a family. But you're going to cross the street this year. You're going to walk over to them and say, I'm a part of a family that you can be a part of as well. Come on over to my house. Oh, come on, somebody. The bill has been paid. We have a chair waiting for you. We have a bed waiting for you. We have a place for you. Come on over. The price has been paid. You can be a part of our house somebody say pray it in we've got to understand that in order for it to happen we got to pray it in what's the third thing we need to pray this year is we need to not only pray for passion and compassion but thirdly we need to pray for the potential someone say pray it in Matthew 9 37 he says the harvest truly is plentiful. What was Jesus saying to his disciples? He's saying it, there's potential out there. There's no shortage of work to be done. And in one other portion of Scripture, in John, he looks at his disciples and says, don't say four months and then the harvest. He says the harvest is ready. The harvest is now. The harvest is plentiful. There's potential. There's a lot out there that can come in to help us build the kingdom of God and do the work that God has called us to do. And I want to say something to you, church. The potential is not only in the pew. The potential is outside. The future preachers, the future pastors, the future evangelists, the future missionaries, the future husbands, the future wives. Come on, somebody. The next generation is out there. And the potential is there, but we've got to pray it in. We've got to pray it in. And we've got to understand that there's an urgency. The time is now. I'll say it again. The time is now. The time is not tomorrow. The time is not next year. The time is not when we're ready or we feel like it. The time is now. In Joel chapter 1, there's an indictment against the people of God in Joel chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. 
the vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. What is this scripture saying? The scripture saying is that when the harvest is ready, you've got to pluck it because judgment is coming on the harvest. Do you realize the times that we are in? We are not living in good times. We are living in dark times. We are living in the last days. And I came to tell you something, that judgment is coming to America. Judgment is coming to San Diego. Judgment is coming to the inner cities of the world. And this is the time for the people of God to begin to rise up, grab your sickle, get out there, go reap the harvest before judgment comes on our sons and daughters. Because if judgment comes on our sons and daughters, joy is going to leave your life. We've got to rise up now. We've got to go out and we've got to begin to get them now because we are living in urgent times. You say, how should I pray, pastor, when it comes to the potential? You've got to pray according to your heart. Are you hearing me today? You've got to pray according to your heart. You say, I was never a gang member. I was never a drug addict. How am I going to reach one? Well, I believe you can. I believe that's the anointing we have in our ministry. But you've got to pray according to your heart. You've got to pray according to what God has placed in your heart. Maybe you need to start praying more fervently for your children. Maybe you need to start praying more fervently for your husband and for your wife. Maybe you need to pray more fervently for your parents. Maybe you've got to pray more fervently for your coworkers. I don't know what's in your heart. Only you know what's in your heart. But you've got to pray it in. And you've got to say, what is my heart telling me? And when you listen to your heart, then you'll know how to pray. Here's what I want to say to you. You'll have the harvest you pray for. And if you don't pray, you'll have no harvest. But if you do pray... And you do pray according to your heart. You will have the harvest that you pray for. Come on, somebody say, pray it in. You've got to get down on your knees. And you've got to get before the throne of God. And you've got to say, Lord, I'm not going to leave until I know you've heard me. I'm not going to leave until I know that that harvest is coming in. I'm not going to leave until you confirm this prayer and show me that you're going to bring that harvest in. Because you're going to get the harvest that you pray for. When I think about our church, man. I'm getting the harvest that I've been praying for. I've never, I never saw myself pastoring a homogeneous church. A ho and now that's a big word for some of you. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> no, I don't want to pastor a church like that either. Amen. But in other words, I never saw myself pastoring a church with one group and one race of people. I never saw myself pastoring a church let me just, for political, forgive me, but a church full of a bunch of Mexicans. Come on, somebody. I love Mexicans. I'm 100% Mexican. But I never saw myself pastoring a church like that. I started my ministry in the East Coast, and you not only have, you know, Latinos, you have Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Colombians. You got some Mexicans now. You got Italians. You got white people, black people. You got all kinds of people. And, and it was there that God put a vision in my heart that if I ever became a pastor, I was going to have a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-economic church. I wanted to have a church where the cop could sit next to the criminal. 
hey, the teacher could sit next to the student. The father could sit next to the son and the mother can sit next to the daughter because we are a family. We are in this together. And if we want something, we've got to start praying it in. What is in your heart, whatever is in your heart, start praying it in. Start praying in that potential. Start praying in those children. Start praying in those people that God is showing you in that vision. Can I hear an amen? Pray them in and let them know we are family. What's the last thing here this morning? Did you get something today? The last thing we need to pray for is not only pray for the potential, but lastly, we need to pray. And if you're going to catch anything in this message, I, I want you to catch this today. Pray for people to rise up. Can I say it again? Pray people to rise up. Matthew 9, 35. Listen to the words of our Savior. I'll read the whole scripture. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. Watch this. But the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out what? To send out what? Laborers into the harvest field. Notice that. This is so powerful. I want you to, I want you to catch this. Notice that even our Savior hit a certain wall when it came to the harvest. That even our Savior, you can sense within our Savior a feeling of frustration when it comes to this verse. He said the time is now. Don't say four months and then the harvest. Stop procrastinating. Now is the time. And pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to raise up labors and send them in to the harvest field. There was a frustration in our Savior in that there is a lack of leadership in the church. a lack of those of you who will cross the boundary of casual Christianity into committed Christianity. Where are the leaders? Where are those that, where it's not all about just you, your needs, your problems, your issues, your challenges, your burdens, your family, your money. Where are the people that are going to break out of their personal box and respond to Jesus' heart this morning and to go out there and to bring in hurting people? 
You see, friends, even Jesus faced this problem. That in the church there are those who fail to cross the threshold into ministry involvement. Someone once said, church is like a football game. 50,000 people watching, 22 men do all the work. Here's my question. Are you a spectator or a participator? And, and, I, I, and I'm going to bring it home. I'm, I'm done preaching to you, but can I just talk to you a little bit? This is my heart this year. I recognize the mission and the task that we have as a whole in Victory Outreach, that we're not just called to reach San Diego, we're called to reach the world. We have ministries all over the world. And there's a burden upon our church to begin to rise up in the area of leadership. And this is something that God has been dealing with me about so deeply within my heart. There's a frustration when it comes to leadership. And what some of us have got to understand this morning is that Jesus doesn't just look at you as people. I think that's the problem. We come to church thinking, well, Jesus is just looking at me as a soul, just looking at me as a person, just looking at me as, as, as one thing. And you need to understand that Jesus didn't save you so you can just come to church and warm a pew. He didn't save you just so you can walk in the door, get your little goosebumps and walk out and live your own life. He died a bloody death because he has a purpose and a use for your life. And what I believe with all of my heart is we've got to stop seeing ourselves as just people. We have to see ourselves as much more than just people. We need to see ourselves as leaders. We have to see ourselves as difference makers. We have to see ourselves as catalysts. We have to see ourselves as the ones that are going to change our families and change our communities and change this country and change this world. We've got to lift up our vision. We've got to think more of ourselves. You see, we're leaders. And you know what my, my desire this year is? I'm going to tell you right now, this is my desire. That this whole church, this every seat in this church, let me, let me say this to you, man. It's going to trip you out. Every chair in this church will be filled, not with people. But every church chair will be filled with leaders. Can I say something to you? I don't really get that excited about working with people. But I do get excited about working with leaders. I do. I get excited about working with leaders. That's what turns me on. If I was just called to pastor a church full of people, I would not pastor. That's not my gifting. I'm not a counselor. Have you ever been counseled by me? That's right, because I'm not good at it. I'm a preacher. I'm a transmitter of God's word. I've got a gift to preach from this pulpit. But you know what my second gift? My second gift is leadership. I know how to identify a leader. I know how to develop a leader. I know how to put a leader in the right place so that leader can flourish. I've planted nine churches since I've been the pastor of this church. And let me tell you something, baby. I'm just getting started. I need leaders to rise up here that will answer the call of God. I'm not a counselor. 
Are you hearing me today? I don't have any oil in my pocket. If you need oil, go see Pastor Tony. He got a whole lot of oil. How many thank God for this man? How many thank God? He's a leader. We need leaders as they come. There's three types of leaders. Three ty- let, me, let me say this to you. Every one of you is a leader. Even in the home, you're a leader. You're a leader in the making. I look at you. I don't look at you guys in the home. I look at you as leaders in the making. Women in the home, you're leaders in the making. Young people, you're leaders in the making. I don't see you as people. I see you all as leaders. That's why I get upset with you. Can I just break it down for a minute? You come and looking all sloppy to church. That bothers me. Because I don't see you as people. I see you as a leader. Coming in late, getting up, going to the bathroom, undisciplined. That bothers me because I don't see you as who you say, well, I'm just a person. No, you're not a person. In my eyes, you're a leader. Leaders don't act like that. Leaders don't do stuff like that. Leaders are an example. They recognize people are watching them. They come with the right. Come on, somebody. Tell your neighbor, you're a leader. We have three types of leaders here. First, we have our existing leaders. These are the people that have brought us this far by faith. They've paid a price. Those chairs you're sitting in, you didn't buy that chair. You know it's true. This building, you didn't pay for it. You know it's true. There's a group of people that went before us. This stage, you didn't build it. Our existing leaders built it. People who have even gone on to be with the Lord. They paid a price for us to be here. We have existing leaders here that have been serving God 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. And they're still serving God with passion. They've been through the ups. They've been through the downs. But they've never left their post. They know that they've been called by God. And they keep on fighting the good fight of faith. They're the pace setters. They're the ones that you can count on day in and day out. You come to church on a Sunday, you know you'll see them there. You come in on a Wednesday, you know you'll see them there. And if you don't see them in the sanctuary, they're probably in the children's department or serving in another area of ministry because they're setting the pace for the entire church. And guess what? In 2016, they're going to keep on setting the pace. We also have emerging leaders. Who are those emerging leaders? Let me tell you something. There is a movement taking place in our church. There is a movement of young adults and young people that are getting on fire for God, and they're not satisfied. They've been coming to church for one year. They've been coming to church for two years. They've been coming to church for three years. And let me tell you something. If we don't start working with them, they're going to leave. They're going to go to where the growth is. They're going to go to where there's opportunity. There's going to go, they're going to go to where there's emphasis. Why do you think I started Emerging Leaders Academy? Because I know how leaders think. When you're a leader, you want to grow. You want to be discipled. You want to be trained. You want to be you. I said, let's go ahead and let's sign up some people if you want to be a part of it. We received 110 sign-ups. That's telling me there's 110 young 
hungry lions and lionesses in this church that say, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I was so grieved because we couldn't take them all. My goal was to have 30. We ended up having to receive 56. Do you know that when we put this class online, we had nine churches, nine pastors call me and said, how could I be a part of it? See, that, are you hungry? Does anybody here want to grow? Answer the call of God upon, do you realize there's more than you just coming to church on a Sunday morning and getting goosebumps? There's a whole world of people that want to grow. We were only able to receive 56. We start tomorrow, and I'm nervous and excited all at the same time. This is my passion. But you know the third type of leaders we have? And let me say this to you. We have existing leaders. We have emerging leaders. But you know the third type of leader we have? They're called emotional leaders. It took me all week to find that third E. I knew what I wanted to say. I said, Lord, where's the 30? The emerging, the existing, what's the 30? And it was just two days ago, the Lord said, emotional leaders. That's the word you're looking for, emotional. Go and tell the people that they're too emotional. Emotional leaders. Seasonal servants. Usually serve when the season's good in your life but have not yet learned how to serve through the tough times and through the hard times. Come on, I want my existing leaders to help me preach. You know why some of these chairs are empty? Not because of our existing leaders, it's because of the effect of emotional leadership. You know they'd be full if you'd get consistent. They, they won't even call you. You going to church right now? I want to go to VO, but are you going? Nah, I'm on a break. No, I'm having a... You can't even evangelize effectively. Because you're emotional. You serve for a season. And then you take a season off. They come for a little while. Let me, let me say something to you, man, and... How many like this type of VO preaching? Right? This is us. If my life can speak anything to you, let me say to you that I am not an emotional leader. I think my life proves that. I think the last two years prove that to you. That I'm not emotional. Yes, I have emotions. I'm not a robot. But I'm not a leader that's led by my feelings. I'm a leader that's led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm led by a vision and I'm led by the word of God. And I've learned how to serve God, not only in the good times, I've learned how to serve God in the tough times as well. And if you're here today and you're emotional and emotion reigns in your life and your church involvement 
is all determined by your emotion. Well, my husband doesn't want to come to church. Well, come to church without your husband. Well, my wife doesn't want to come. Then let her stay home. You come. And I guarantee that as you stay consistent, you will be able to lead your family to where God has called you to lead them. some of us here today that we've got to stop letting our feelings lead us. Let me tell you why. Because you're holding the whole church back. You're holding us all back. We want to, do you see we want to go forward? We want to go forward? And you know what's funny about emotional leaders? I'm going in on them right now, aren't I? When they show up, they want, oh, look, I'm back. I'm back. Look at me. I'm back. I don't get that excited no more. Because I know you're only back for a few months. Give us some leaders that will be in the battle, in the good times, and in the bad. And if that leader's only 24 years old, I'll take him. And if that leader's only 31 years old, I'll take him. And if that leader's 65 years old, I'll take him. Give me a leader that will stick it out all the time. <laughs> Pray it in. <laughs> See how I made it real spiritual? I'm becoming more like my pastor as I get older, aren't I? But he trained me well. He trained me well. I am my father's son. And we're going to get commitment out of this church. And, I, and we're going to break barriers this year. We're going we're gonna to do it. Come on, somebody. And if I die, I die. That's, that's, that's what I take. That's all. If I die, I die. Oh, God, die is something. But I'm going to die with my boots on. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, i got to pray these things into my life. At least one of these things. And you say, 2016 is going to be a year where I, where, I, where I move to another level. And I need the Lord to lift up my vision. And i got to do all, if this message is for you, then just come spend a little time at the altar right now and just begin to bow down right here and just begin to talk to the Lord.